0: Amen. And as we come to the end of Paul's letters, it may be for me one of the most challenging portions of Paul's letters. In Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul, Pauline epistles, the prison epistles, that's what we're studying. We're going to finish Colossians today. Next week we're going to go into Philippians, which is one of his prison epistles as well. And Paul is a heavy hitter, is he not? I mean, this guy is a theologian, top shelf, And yet the end of his letters, every single one of them, he mentions people by name. He mentions who they are, what they've done, how precious they are to him. And it's maybe one of the most challenging portions of Paul's letters because I kind of like theology. I kind of like doctrine. I kind of like the top shelf stuff. And who wants to be right? Raise your hand if you want to be right. Okay, you want to be a Bengals fan? You're going to be a Bengals fan? You want to be right. You don't want to pick the wrong team. You don't want to go the wrong. You want to know what's going on. But at the end of the day, as important as it is to be right theologically, doctrinally, to know what's right and wrong, to have truth and not fallacy, more important than that, equally important, more, I don't know, you, you be the judge. It's not just the way that you connect to God vertically, but the way that it is evidenced horizontally, the way that it is seen in your relationships. And so Paul spends all of chapter three and the end of chapter four talking about relationships I would title this portion of a sermon or this title, this portion of a letter. This is the so what of your Christianity. Oh, you're a believer? Cool. So what? What are you talking about? So what? Show, show me. Your belief is going to be evidence in your behavior. And if your behavior is contrary to what you believe, eh, we got a problem. we got an issue. And you might say, man, Christ is so powerful. He saved my soul. But unless he also changed your life, I wonder... Now, i said this a couple times. I want to make sure you don't feel like I'm beating you guys up. We're not looking for perfect Christians. Okay, sinless Christianity. We're like, oh man, I'm just perfect. I'm perfect. But we are looking for progress, aren't we? Looking for progress. I want to do better in my marriage. I want to do better in my parenting. I want to do better in my friendships. And as much as it's fun to study the scriptures and read Romans and Hebrews and figure out what the big ideas are, that's called theology. Theology has to trickle down into what we call orthodoxy or orthopraxy. That is what I believe and how I behave. What you believe and how you behave comes from theology and what you study. And Paul, by God's guidance, breaks up his epistles in the first half, always doctrine and theology, and in the second half, duty and orthodoxy and orthopraxy, which means how we then practice our lives, how we live. James would say it this way. He said, you have faith? Cool. Show me your works. Show it to me. I mean, is it not easy to say you're a Christian? It's, just, it's really easy to say you're a Christian. And even when you got saved, when you get saved, man, you're a Christian! Ah, I'm going to hell! Ah, you know, ah. And if you're like me, you put on your rapture pants, you're like, let's go today! And the Lord's like, no, nah, we're going to work on you for a little bit. He's like, we're not going to work on me, we're going to work on them, you know. And the Lord says, no, we're going to work. It's like a rock tumbler. And we're all working on each other. Peter goes on to say that we are living stones being fit together, a place, a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, a place of worship. Living stones. Stones don't fit together. They're all jacked up. They're all messed up until they're worked on. Then slowly but surely they start to make that connection. And so right now some of us got a couple of rough edges, don't you? And God's, God's kind of sanding that down and it keeps showing up. It doesn't quite fit. If you've ever been, been a craftsman, it's like, it doesn't quite fit. I need to take a few more layers off here. Some of you are looking at the person you married, man, this, I just married this person. He was such a rock when I met him, but now he's just a blockhead. <laughs> what the, you know? And God says, yes, so are you, and, and God's working on you. And you. Most of you guys know this, but in the Old Testament, when the instructions were given to build the temple for worship, the instructions were given from God to Solomon. He said, make sure that at the temple, no tools are used or heard. No hammers, no chisels. All of that's going to happen at the rock quarry. All the hammering, all the chiseled, sh- dust, sawdust, chaos, and everything's perfectly measured out. Then they would truck. Some of them don't have trucks. The camel, I don't know what they'd, they'd get the stones and they'd bring them to the temple. And when they put them together, it was a perfect fit. Like even today, we've discovered these temple stones. You can go there uh, to Israel with us in 2023 of March, planning a trip at that time. And you can look at some of these, what they're called Herodian stones from the, the, temp, uh, from the era of Herod. And they're so perfectly fit together that even archaeologists today and architects and engineers are like, I don't know how they did this without tools. And yet it's God's design in your life that we're here in the rock quarry of life. We're being fashioned. We're being shaped. And some of us have some rough edges that just keep sticking out and keep getting worked on. And the Lord says, I know. I know. And, and so does everyone else. We, we know. And God's grace wants to work on that in you. And again, James says, you say you have faith, well, show me your works, and I'll tell you what, you know the works that God is looking for the most, this might blow your mind, I've been a Christian for a lot of years, and I became an like, excited Christian at maybe 20 years old, super excited about the mission of Jesus Christ, so my whole idea with the mission of Jesus Christ was like, grab the light, grab the torch, grab a couple swords and some weapons and go after bad guys and start kicking them in the face, like I just want to, you know just, let's go to war against the evil, and, and while that's true, and while you're going against the darkness, The last prayer of Jesus before he died in John 17, one of the longest prayers in the scriptures, wasn't so much about the big bad world, but it was about the blockheads that he'd called to his side, that they would grow in unity, that they would become a family. See, they were still fighting up until that point. They were still squabbling. They were still all messed up. The A team, the apostles, they were still kind of arguing over who would be the greatest and all this pride was coming out of them. And Jesus says, I just pray, Lord, that they would be one as we are one. That's the whole message. That's the whole idea. And I just want you guys to know, I I started in the ministry at at age 20 or so. I'm 43 now. I've been doing this for a long time. And and while I'm still out slaying darkness and fighting demons and lies and exposing all that stuff, the most important thing that I believe is going to be evidenced in your Christianity, your vertical understanding of who Jesus is, is the way you understand and love and appreciate the people around you. The way you serve people. The way you repent to people, the way you walk with people, it really is all about family and relationships. And it starts here, theologically. you got to know what's going on. you got to figure it out. I mean, you know, God is the the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like, they're a family. He says, okay, let's make the world. All right, let's go out there and kill bad guys. Slow down, tiger, slow down, you know. We love people. We love people. And that's what the Lord, I believe, is working on in my heart. I'm so excited about that, by the way. And it's all about people. So Paul ends chapter 3 and 4 specifically. Now he's talked about Jesus and who Jesus is and what's going on in the kingdom, chapters 1 and 2. And now he spends 3 and 4. Let's just talk about relationships. Let's talk about relationships. And some of you may be like, what? Relationships? We're in a war here. We're going to fight bad guys. And he says, yeah, that's true. But what's important is the way you treat people. And I'm so glad that, that God, through Paul, laid down some heavy-duty theology. Have you guys read the book of Romans yet? Okay? Take some Advil. Read Romans. It'll freak you out, man. It'll mess you up. You know, Hebrews. I'll read some of these books. If I don't have a commentary or like, you know, haven't, you know I can't. i was like, what? This is so deep in the theology. And I'm so grateful for the theology. I taught through the book of Romans twice now. We did it once here and once at Ashton Christian Fellowship. And it changed my life. Most commentators say that when a church or a community goes through the book of Romans, that it will produce within them a revival. All revivals are linked to an understanding of the theological premise of Romans. It's a big deal. And I'm thankful for, for concordances and for Greek and for Hebrew and for references and for shadows and types. And how many of you guys just love theology? You're kind of a nerd. You just love theology and doctrine. You love the footnotes. And there's a the verse reference. I'm going to look that up. You know, how many of you guys are nerds out there? Where's my nerd friends out? You know, a couple of them are nodding their heads. But it's just church. You're not going to get too excited because you're a nerd. You know. And, that's funny. That's funny. You know, there's the. Then there's other people, though. Christians also. Who, who, let's just be honest, you're not really concerned about the theology aspect. Not really. I mean, you, you know it's true, but you're not really going to buy a commentary. You're going to read. or You're more relationally inclined, and it's all about love, and you just kind of accept everyone and, and all these things, and you're just so giving and serving. You're not really worried about the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy and the church and all these historical things. And How many guys are more inclined to relationships, just kind of being loving, kind, generous, just loving everybody? Here's the deal. Some of the, the theologically inclined churches and people who just love the scriptures maybe you're really good at the five by five reading program you haven't missed a day ever since pastor luke told us to read it i do it because i'm a christian you know somebody challenged you to do seven things a week i do it you know you're real you're real hardcore man you're you're dedicated and there are people who are theologically convicted and into the rules and the the routines, so much so that they need to move a little bit closer toward the relationship camp. Because you're all about it, but it's not really evidenced in the way that you live your lives. You don't have a lot of friends. Nobody really likes you. You don't really like anybody else. I mean, you know the truth. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about other people. These are weirdos out there. I remember I heard one of my pastors years and years ago, he was talking about the ministry, and I was really young, probably 19, 20 years old, and he said ministry would be awesome if it weren't for all the people. <laughs> and when I heard that, I was like, that's funny and offensive, you know, because <laughs> I am one of the people. And as I have grown, though, I found the challenge. I want to be theologically sound. I want to be accurate in my understanding. I want to grow Okay, but there's a challenge. i got to come out of that camp of theology and nerdism and reading and devotions and disciplines, and i got to be part of the mess. i got to be part of the people over here. Then there's another group of people in churches that are just kind of all about relationships. Big net going out. You're not just looking for halibut. You're looking for rockfish, bottom fish, eels, whatever. Let's get them all in here. and You don't really care about right and wrong and up and down. And Somebody's going to say, well, don't you, haven't you read Hebrews 6? You're like, I didn't know there was a Hebrews, you know, and I like coffee too. Hebrews and Shebrews, you know, and... You have no idea what the Bible teaches. (laughs) But you're full of love. You're full of love and kindness. And some of those people, you know what you need to do is you need to come out of the relationship only camp and say, you know what, I need some discernment. I need to know what the truth is. i got to read the Bible. i got to get around some of these people that are a little more serious. So I really want you guys to freak out with me because Paul gives us the truth. Paul tells us what's going on. He doesn't miss a beat. He tells us who's right, who's wrong, what's up, what's down, where to go. Every single one of his epistles is theologically sound. Some of the revelations that God gave to Paul in the wilderness, okay, changed the church as we know it. When Paul laid it down, he's like, this is how it is. Like, why? Well, we didn't know that. We had no idea. And Paul lays it down as theologian number one. But then he ends his epistles on this crazy soft note. He's like, hey, before I end the letter, I want to talk to you about my friends. Paul, you have friends? Yeah, I got a lot of friends. Paul, you have people in your life that are helping you? Oh, yeah, I'm not a solo act. I'm not doing this alone. You, you might think I am. I'm the Apostle Paul, running hard. I heard one pastor say it this way. You can run faster alone, but you can go further with a team. And man, I'll tell you what, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and he, he goes, and, and the people he lists today, he lists uh, 11 people, we're going to look, look at each one of them briefly, and he lists 11 people, you might think, I don't know that guy, I never heard that guy, only when Paul mentions them, and yet in Paul's esteem, in Paul's mind, Paul would say, the reason I could write the book of Colossians is because of this homie, the reason I could go to Rome is because of this guy, the reason why that happened in Ephesus is because of this person, and it... Blesses me more than you'll ever understand. Even in today's response time, I was just praying for people and thinking about you guys and thinking about you gals and all the people that God's brought to this church and throughout the history of the church. There's no one man show. There's no solo teams. It's a family, and each and every one of us. If we if we understand the theological importances of what God has declared to be true, you got to know the truth, man. Make sure your truth your truth muscles strong. Make sure you're nowhere's beaten and connected with the Holy Spirit. But also, it's a good time to grow and the grace and relationships horizontally. My wife and I had such a good talk last night, it was way too late for Saturday night. It was like 11.30, man, which is late for us. Any, any week, but especially Saturday. And we were just talking about people in our church and the complexities of being a, a pastor at this church, or any church, and the complexities of being married to Luke Fouchette, if you can imagine. <laughs> Pray for her. She'll, she'll be here at the 11, hopefully. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And we were just talking about people and how if you have a mindset anywhere you go and at any point in your life, if you have a mindset to care about people rather than to be cared about from people, that if you just show up, just, man, oh, I see you. Oh, I see you. I appreciate you. That that, it's it's an instant game changer. Because all of us wake up in the morning, who's the first person you think about when you wake up in the morning? Liars. A couple people said, Jesus, I love you, I love you. Maybe you're there, I'm not there. First person I think about is moi. And then I cry out to Jesus, help me, you know. We're so selfish, we're just so selfish. And being selfish, okay, will not take you where you want to go, ever. It will lead you to be the most depressed, most small, most insecure, most unfulfilled person in the universe. As a matter of fact, if you want a prescription to overcome your depression, i will give it to you. Here's a prescription to overcome your depression. Don't think about yourself. Here's a prescription to become depressed, okay, Dr. Luke. If you're not depressed yet, here you go. Just think about yourself more. All day long, think about you, what you need, what you want, what you're going through, and you will end the day, man, I'm just so depressed, I'm so unfulfilled. And if you want to be alleviated and fired up and set free from all fears, anxiety, shame, weight, all that stuff, don't think about yourself. Think about your spouse if you got one. Think about your kids if you got one. Think about your friends. Think about your community. And all of a sudden, you're going to be set free. It's a trip. And so I'm so glad that Paul gives us theology. He melts our faces in his books that he writes. Wow, what did he say? That's crazy. But then he ends saying, hey, it's actually all about relationships. If you don't have relationships, you don't have anything. We don't live in ivory towers. We're not Pharisees. Those guys, the Pharisees, that he, he, he was a Pharisee. He knew more than anybody. And yet the Pharisees didn't congregate with people. They didn't love people. They didn't appreciate people. They just looked down at people and kept notes. He says, we're not doing that anymore. We're not doing that anymore. So as we study this, I want us to make sure that we're a theologically based church. Okay, We love the scriptures. We're studying God's word. We're going to know it. We're going to let it edit us. We're not going to edit what the Bible says. We're going to change and conform to what it says. It's just the way it is. But we're also going to grow in the outworking and in the outpouring of relationships, love, grace, and mercy toward each other. Because it's not so much a matter of what you know that makes you who you are. But truly, it begins with who you know. It's Jesus. And it's not so much what you know and what you do here, but it's who you're walking with that makes you different. Thomas Aquinas said it this way. He said, there's nothing on this earth more to be prized than true friendship. And as much as I look at the Apostle Paul and all he did, I love how he references real people. Let's read a few verses, beginning in verse 7. Actually, look at verses 5 and 6 for fun, because that's what I like to do. That's what I like to do. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Stop right there, eyes up here. This is to the non-believers. Non-believers. Paul gives instruction now. Now you're theologically correct. You connected to God. Okay, make sure it's going out this way. And he ends these verses six and seven. He says, make sure that the people who don't know Jesus get to know Jesus through you. It's really important. When you go to Ultra Life, when you go to Starbucks, when you go to your coffee house, when you go to Coasties Roast's, when you walk in there and they don't know Jesus, when you're at the job site and they know you know Jesus, make sure your speech is seasoned with salt, always looking for an opportunity to redeem the time. Some way to be some sort of influence on these people that don't even know Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that change everything? Man, it makes life an adventure. And you're going to buy a car, you're going to the grocery store, you're going to do something. Like, I can't wait to see who I meet. This is crazy. Because I'm going to heaven, and I don't know if they are, and I want to see what happens. Then he segues, though, in verses 8 to the end, and say, don't just focus on those non-believers. Listen. He says, make sure and don't take for granted the believers in your life. Paul could have ended the chapter right there and said, all right. You guys, you got, mem- got the memo? You got the message? Go execute it. But instead, Paul masterfully chooses to end this letter by shining the spotlight on the team and the family around him. And it makes me so happy because I know the team and the family around me and it's so, it's so awesome. I've been thinking about this portion of scripture for the last couple of weeks. Getting excited about teaching it. But not just teaching it, but living it. And it's opened my eyes even more than they already are open to the people, to the men and the women that God has put in in my family here at South Beach Church, in, in our family, and it's something real special. And it's something I'm very grateful for. And I hope you are too. A lot of people have high praises of South Beach Church. Man, you guys have the best bathrooms in town. That's a joke. We don't have the best, you know. Your parking lot's amazing, you know. I bent my axle, you know. Nothing, nothing outside of this church is beautiful, right? It's just all messed up. But people come to church here, and they instantly feel like they're home. They feel like they found their family. They just walk in the door like, whoa. And I give the majority of the credit and the reason, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit here. That's it. Because you can go to a place that's better than this, and you won't feel it. I don't know. But the Spirit, but the Spirit lives in each one of us, and He connects us together. And as we continue to grow and understand that that's how the Lord wants this church to grow and to be strong. Not just theologically solid, but growing together. And let's just be honest. Let's establish a few things. Okay? Friends, friendships aren't easy, right? As a matter of fact, I've heard one person say, if you have six people that show up to your funeral and carry your casket and put it in the ground, you did good. Just Six. Friendships aren't easy. They take investment. They take concern. They take energy. We're naturally born selfish, sinful. In order to have friends, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 24, if you want friends, you yourself must be friendly. It's hard. Let's just talk about the day we live in as well. We have deduced friends to people online that we don't know. I've got 5,000 of them on Facebook. (laughs) People I know make funny, like, "Do you know all these people?" I'm like, "No, yes, maybe, you know. Followers on Instagram and Twitter, all these people out there, and we, 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 we measure ourselves and weigh our worth based on our friends or follower influence out there. It's hard with social media to actually connect. It's hard with the pace that we live. It's hard with all the entertainment and all the technology that just keeps us so entertained. I'm so, and I can be pretty self-sufficient without any real interaction, can't you? It's a It's a, it's a mistake. It's a temptation. So first question I would ask you is, how are you seeking to be a better friend right now? We all want friends, but how are you seeking to be a better friend? You know what Paul does? He writes a letter. It's kind of cool. It kind of makes me tear up. I get emails and texts, phone calls sometimes. Don't call me, by the way. I'm just kidding. I get emails and I get texts. I get messages. And, and sometimes I save them. Sometimes you just read them and flag them and move on, right? You ever gotten a letter in the mail from somebody? Somebody who loves you, somebody who appreciates, like a handwritten letter. There's just a little more weight. It's a little more special. It's hard to write letters. It's hard to even text sometimes. hard to call. It's hard to stay engaged. You know, in those days, it was even harder than it is now to write a letter. Paul is in jail, and he's like, hmm, what should I do? I know. I'm going to send out an encouragement card to some people who are suffering. How many of you guys, if you were in jail, wouldn't send out encouragement cards to others? Hey, guard, can I get some more stationery? I'm writing Valentine's to people, you know? (laughs) What? You're on death row, homie. I know, I don't have much time. You know? <laughs> Gotta make sure they're cared for. Like, what? Paul, when he was going to Jerusalem, a couple of people started crying and they said, You're gonna lose your life when you go there. He's like, Don't make me cry. I don't care about my life. I don't care about my life. I care about fulfilling my ministry that the Lord's given to me with joy, which is for him and for you. It's not about me. And it allowed Paul to do the hard thing. And I just want this to go so deep in my spirit that I become a person who is both blessed by those who love me, but also who becomes a better friend to the people that God's asked me to love. Now he mentions, like I said, 11 people in the next 12 verses, and we're going to learn from each one of these guys just a little bit. Uh, They say that experience is the best teacher, but you don't always have to have the experience lived yourself, so we're going to learn a little bit from these guys. Look at verse 7. He says, Tychicus, these are his final thoughts. By the way, in four chapters, Paul dedicates almost 10% of his entire letter just to saying thank you to the people that helped him. To me, that's a lot. He says, Tychicus. At least that's how I say it. You can say it however you want. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all the things that are happening here. Stop right, there. eyes up here. Paul is now sending Tychicus and Onesimus to the church at Colossae with this letter. Words of encouragement about who Paul is and what Paul's going through, but also primarily that Tychicus, and Onesimus would get there and say, how are you doing? They're there on behalf of the apostle Paul to find out how the church is doing to minister to them both ways, asking how they're doing and giving report about how Paul's doing. Let's talk about this guy, Tychicus. He's given three different qualities that Paul identifies in his life. He says, Tychicus is beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, Tychicus is mentioned in the scriptures five times. Okay, he comes on the scene just five times, but he's not ever given a book. You ever read the book of Tychicus? Everyone say no. Yeah, he's not given any speaking lines. Remember that one time Tychicus said something? Everyone say no. Tychicus doesn't speak, doesn't write, doesn't get to do anything. He's just what we would call a number two guy, where he's part of a ministry that has a number one guy, which is Paul, and things are happening. And Tychicus shows up early, stays late, and says yes to everything. And he makes a mention in the Bible five separate times. And Paul says, I couldn't do what I do without Tychicus. I couldn't do it. We all know Paul. We all read Paul. We're all thankful for Paul. Paul says, it's not just me. He's a beloved brother. And let's just talk about that. Paul says, he's my friend. We could talk about friends and it might make some of us cry because you, you, know, you miss your friends. and Friends are really, they're, they're valuable. More valuable than I think. We, and as you get older, aren't, are they not more valuable? I have lots of acquaintances, lots of, lots of people, lots of Familiarity. I, I would say I have a lot of friends too, but there's, it's a smaller group. Tychicus was Paul's friend. He was a faithful minister. That means Paul didn't have to worry about what this guy was up to. He was a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul saw him as equally valuable. He called him a fellow servant. That means he's just like I am. I like how he sends Tychicus. he's going to tell you what's going on with me, he's going to give a report about Paul, and he's not just going to tell you what Paul's up to, he's also going to check in with you and care for you in my name, he's going to comfort your hearts, and this is great to have a guy on your team that does this, you can trust, he's working for the same mission, and he's going to care for you and care for others, we have a whole team of guys on the, on the church that do that, not just guys, but gals too, even if, I mean, how many of you guys want to be like the Apostle Paul when you get older? Eh, you know, he got his head cut off, so be careful. He was crazy. He said, though, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You, wanna, like, you want skin with bones in it to focus on and be an example? Do what I do. Most of us won't be like the Apostle Paul, though, but all of us can be like Tychicus. This might be a challenge for you. Like, I want to be on stage. I want the mic, and I want this, and I want, or whatever. You, or, or nobody notices me. Paul says, I notice you. Then he gives Onesimus a a shout out here as well. Onesimus, he's mentioned in the scriptures only three times. And for those of you who know the scriptures, you know Onesimus' story. He says in verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful, beloved brother who is one of you. That means he's um, also a Jew and and lives at Colossae. They will make known to you all the things which are happening here. Now, if you guys don't know Onesimus' story, Onesimus had previously been a slave. And he had escaped from his master whose name was, starts with Phi, rhymes with Philemon. Philemon, okay, it's a book of the Bible, Philemon, Philemon owned Onesimus, and Onesimus kicked down the door, broke his chains and ran away and committed a crime, he ran away. He got arrested for it, and he was in jail with Paul. And here's the Apostle Paul writing letters to other people. He's like, what's your name? He's like, my name's Onesimus. He's like, are you a, a believer? He's like, I don't I didn't know anything about that. And so Paul leads him to become a believer. Onesimus gets spirit-filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost. And Paul says, he says this about Onesimus in the book of Philemon. He says, Onesimus is my son, begotten in my chains. ha, <laughs> ha. This is Onesimus. Raise your hand if you got saved in jail. (laughs) I knew that was it. Yeah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Yeah. Onesimus speaks to us of God's redemptive power that no matter what you've been through, no matter where you're at, no matter what you got in your rear view, okay, as long as you keep looking through the windshield of Jesus Christ and His grace, okay, the future is bright and the best is yet to come. And you don't have to let the things of your past color you and identify you and keep you down (laughs) and paul throws out onesimus and says this guy's going to show up and what does he have he has the book of colossians he's going to give it to you it's kind of a big deal it's not a big deal it's kind of a big deal here's the book of colossians but he's also going to listen give you an oral report about what's going on i see this is so powerful onesimus has been been given authority to not only give the bible and then take a step back and then give a message whether you can identify the difference today, that's exactly what's happening. I'm preaching God's word. Preaching God's word. But I'm also giving you a personal message of my life. And my life is one of much destruction. Many mistakes, both past and present. Just a whirlwind of grace. And when you see a man like Onesimus, who Paul says, hey, Paul, while you're there, would you give him, just give him your testimony? Share with him. Give him the book, but also tell him what's going on. Tell them about the battles. Tell them about the fights. Tell them what we're going through. Encourage them. Right now, there are so many men and women that have a rear view. Maybe it's past. Maybe it's in your recent past. You have all these things that are holding you back. I I can't share my testimony. I can't be, and I've been, ah. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will come from the devil. He will condemn you because of your sins, and you will feel condemned, and you will do no good. You'll just sit there. Conviction is when the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and says, hey, don't do that. Love you. Let's go over here. And he convicts you. It's a beautiful thing because he says, I'm not done with you. Set that down. Repent of that. Don't look at that. Don't touch that. Let's go over here. Why? Because i got a message for you to deliver. I got things for you to be a part of, and Onesimus is our example that God sends him, not just to deliver Colossians, but to also give his testimony. This is encouraging for anybody who's made mistakes or has a reputation you're trying to live down currently. Don't stop. Make sure and stand in the light of Jesus. As a matter of fact, your greatest pain can be your greatest message to the people around you. What have you been through? What have you gone through? Can you imagine Onesimus? And by the way, if you read the book of Philemon, it's just one little chapter. God tell, or Paul tells Philemon. He's like, "Hey, Philemon, I want you to forgive Onesimus. He's my, he's my friend. He's my son. Does he owe you anything? I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll it, it reconcile." ministry and the messages of reconciliation he goes on in verse 10 he mentions somebody else he says Aristarchus and now we got we got Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus they're real creative in their names um, you might say Aristarchus but Aristarchus sounds better to me anyway Aristarchus my fellow prisoner greets you with Mark and Barnabas and with Mark the cousin of Barnabas about whom you received instructions if he comes to you welcome him stop right there three guys are mentioned quickly this guy Aristarchus or Aristarchus this guy was one of Paul's traveling companions and he says right here he's my Fellow prisoner, which means he wasn't in trouble by the law, but he's chosen to suffer with me alongside of me as I'm arrested. Paul was the only prisoner there, but Luke was with him. Aristarchus was with him, staying with him. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians, when Paul was about to get pummeled at the Princess Diana, not Princess Diana, at the goddess Princess Diana. (laughs) Anyways, in Ephesus, there's this big riot that happens, and Aristarchus runs out and kind of runs interference for Paul so he doesn't get beat up. Can you imagine this Aristarchus cat? You're traveling through Rome, you're in Ephesus, you're there in jail, you're on the boat, you're at Malta, and you got this guy that's like, hey, I'm not going to let anything happen to you, Paul. i got your back. I'm going to defend you so you can keep going forward so God can do what he has chosen to do through you. I'm going to suffer with you." you. Guys, find somebody that will suffer with you and be that person that suffers with others as well. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, I, By the way, throughout the years, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of Aristarchuses in my life. I've got them written down in my Bible here. Guys that have chosen to stand with me in the suffering, and the gap, and the and the, in the mission, in the race. Showing up, just saying, yeah, I can't fix everything, but I'll be right here with you. There's, there's people sitting in the audience today that are, that are those to me. I appreciate you guys. He goes on to say, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received. Mark and Barnabas, you guys know these guys' story. These guys were cousins. And I'm so glad Paul, if you know the scriptures, mentions Mark at this point. Mark started out in the ministry as a young man, very young, And he decided to volunteer for one of the first missionary journeys. And with Barnabas and Paul in Acts chapter 13, he went on the first missionary journey. He was called the hooperatus or the guy that was carrying the bags, setting up the microphones and the stage and making sure everything's good. Okay, Paul, preach. And he was the guy that would go forward and get the Hotel Six reservations for their missionary journey. We don't know all the details, but as soon as they went from the island of Cyprus to the region of um, Turkey, as soon as they got there, Mark's like, you know what, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And maybe it was malaria, maybe it was jungle fever, maybe it was seasickness, maybe there was a power struggle. Paul and Barnabas were starting to transition in their leadership styles. And maybe Unki Barney was in charge at one point and now the Apostle Paul is and Paul's kind of mean to Mark and you know, yells at everyone, so I don't know what happened. I know this though. Mark bounced and he quit and he left. And a couple years later in Acts chapter 15, Barnabas and Paul go on their second missionary journey. And Barnabas is a son of encouragement. He's so happy, so excited, so full of grace, love, and mercy. He's like, I'm going to go get Mark the quitter. He's going to help us. It's going to be legit. And Paul's like, You ain't doing no such thing. He quit. Get that guy out. And they got in his fight, man. It's one of the most brutal portions of the New Testament. You're like, Why are they fighting? It's like, because people fight, man. It stinks. And the church is all messed up from time to time. And the Bible says that the contention was so severe that Barnabas and Paul separated ways. And Barnabas took his cousin Mark, and they went right back to Cyprus. Paul took Silas, and he went up north, and then he sailed over to Philippi. And two missionary journeys. God redeemed it. It was sad, though. And I'll just say this. Don't, don't. Go too deep, but have you been hurt by somebody in the church? You've been doing this as long as I have, and in the fashion that I have. Let me ask you differently: Have you hurt anybody in the church? Dang it, I have. I've hurt so many people unintentionally. Just oh, I can't. Oh man, I, I didn't. Oh man, I didn't. I'm so sorry. Over and over and over. And so here Paul is at the end of his life, and he's like, "Hey, greet Mark, Barnabas's cousin." Welcome him. When Paul would die, which is in Second Timothy, he would say, he would ask for three things. He's about to die. He's in the, the Roman jail. And he says, Hey, I need three things. Number one, I need my parchments. I need my books. I need the Bible. I need to read. I need to keep going. Number two, I need my SBC hoodie. I left it in Ephesus. That's what he says. He says, Bring me a sweatshirt. I'm cold. And he says, And bring Mark. <laughs> bring Mark. He's helpful to me. That's so cool full reconciliation and not just like a forgiveness and a nod like what up what up bring mark he's helpful to me this is challenging to me because people have hurt me i've got knives in my back still from years and years of ministry i'm like what the heck dude why'd you do that and the lord's like you over it you over it and the fact that mark gets mentioned mark not only became special to paul in his latter days but did you know that Mark went on to write a little book in, in, the, in the Gospels called Mark? Yeah. <laughs> you guys read Mark yet? Yeah. It's so good. And God used Mark who had failed in the ministry, who started out young. And maybe you started out young. You started with VBS or maybe you're on the worship team or you went on a mission trip. You got all kinds kind of energy and you're doing stuff and man, it just didn't go right. It didn't, and now you're not doing anything. And the Lord says, you still breathing? Yeah, I'm still breathing. Got a pulse? Got a purpose? All right. You can still give the Gospel of Jesus Christ out. He mentions Aristarchus, he mentions Mark, and he also mentions Barnabas, and I mentioned this already, Barnabas, his name literally means the son of encouragement. Everywhere Barnabas went, he would just be encouraging. He would see people, I love that sweatshirt, that's so cool, I can't believe, oh man, good to see you, I haven't seen you forever. Everywhere he would go, believers or non-believers, the Bible says that he was filled with the grace of God. He was an encourager. When I read Barnabas, I have some Barnabas in me, but I'm not like a full Barnabas dinosaur, I'm not the not, not. you know, I'm not all in. But I know some Barneys. I know some guys and gals that no matter what's going on in my life, they're just encouraging. They just want to keep, just like, hey, man, I see your sail. And just, just, fill it and go, just go do stuff. The Bible says that when Barnabas got to Caesarea Antioch, there where the Gentile church was, it was kind of like the Rockin' church, the South Beach church. It was kind of wacky. The Jews didn't really like going up there. They were kind of just kind of weird. And the Bible, so they sent Barnabas up there. And so Barnabas shows up to church for the first day, and he sees all these crazy Gentiles, like eating bacon and swinging from the rafters and stuff. And the Bible says he saw the grace of God in them, and he was encouraged. He was so, he's like, oh, dude, this is cool. This is cool. Where some of the Pharisees and some of the more theologically sound guys, they would show up and think, this isn't cool. You know, they were mad. It was like a youth group. Anyways. I want to be like a Barnabas. I want to be an encourager. It's easy just to get, look, you know, look down your nose. Barnabas is here, and he says, "Barnabas, receive him, welcome them." Look at verse eleven. He says, "And Jesus, who's called Justice." He doesn't say much about Jesus. He said, "Just don't call him Jesus." He said, "Call him Justice." I think like, the name Jesus was real common in those days. It'd be like Joshua. Can you imagine if your name was Joshua or Jesus at the same time Jesus Christ was on the earth also, and you're going around in the ministry with Paul? You're like, "Hey, my name's Jesus." Like, no way, Jesus is here. And you're like. Not that Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? Just call me Justice. Let's just get over it. Sorry, you know. <laughs> what a bummer. What a bummer. Anyways, his name's Justice. Listen to how Paul ends, though. These are the six guys he just mentioned. And Jesus, who's called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort for me. Stop right there. Up here. He mentions six guys, and he says these are all Jews that have gone off their map. They've joined me in the trenches. These are Jews that have become believers they're of the circumcision that means they're not greeks not gentiles and he mentions them i just am so thankful that paul knows how did i get this far why am i writing the bible what how how am i able to do these things not alone not alone it takes a family takes a team he goes on then finally i'm going to wrap this up quickly he says in verse 12 he says epaphras epaphras who's one of you means he's a greek a bondservant of Christ Jesus greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who were in Laodicea and those who were in Hier- Hierapolis. Now, guys, we started the book of Colossians, and he was mentioning Epaphras because he was the one who ministered to Paul in prison and said, hey, I'm here on behalf of my church. My church is suffering. Would you write us a little letter? And Paul says, yeah, I'd love, I've never been there before. Epaphras, nice like to meet, meet you again. You were my student in Ephesus, and now you're just this Greek pastor, and so I want to encourage And so he sends Epaphras back to his own home church With this letter But also these words Of high praise Of commendation And let's just think for a minute Who Epaphras is Paul says I bear him witness That he zealously, fervently Cares for you guys (laughs) What was Epaphras like? Epaphras shows up By the way to go from I believe to go from Colossae to where Paul was in Rome Is upwards of a thousand miles journey It's not close so Epaphras shows up, he's like, hey, I'm from Colossae, like, what? What are you doing here? Well, I just wanted to see how you're doing, and I was hoping you'd pray for my church. As a matter of fact, let's pray for my church right now. And all of a sudden, he goes into prayer mode, and Epaphras is like on his knees petitioning God for the church at Colossae, and Paul's like, dang, dog, settle down, you know. And he's zealous and fervent in his prayers, laboring for them that they would be found in all of the knowledge of God, all of the will of God. I don't know, man. I just want to say this. I want to be like Epaphras. I don't want to just settle for some people showing up to church. I don't want to settle for some bills being paid. I don't want to settle for some services being attended. I don't want to settle for that. I want to be like Epaphras who is fervently praying and laboring for the fullness of God in all the people at South Beach Church that we grow to the fullness, that we don't take anything for granted and that we keep growing. Did you know that God right now, I'm going to say it in the best sense, is not satisfied? No, he's fully happy, but he's not satisfied. He looks at you, looks at me, and says, there's more. There's more. Until you die, there's more ground to take. There's more to learn, more to do. And praise God for a church that's not trying to throttle down and, you know, find the slow lane. You know, I'm just, I'm not trying to be condescending in any way. But God forbid we try and just find the slow lane and do less. Let's get crazy, let's start schools, let's start churches, let's start programs, let's do life groups, let's do outreaches, let's do stuff. Let's let the light shine until the day we die, let's keep going and keep growing. And Epaphras was praying, I'm going to read it again, Epaphras, who's one of you, verse 12, a bondservant who is one of you, he greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in, listen, not just there, but Laodicea and Hierapolis. Can I just say something quickly? It's so fun to be a church that cares about other churches. We're growing in that, too. There's something weird within church. Not always, but there's something weird within the church. It's kind of like us four, no more, bar the door. Like, oh, you're from the Nazarene. Oh, whoops. You know, oh, you're from the Baptist church. You're from the Assembly of God church. You're from the Catholic church. And there's just unnecessary division. Did you know that within Christianity, within evangelical Christianity, people who read the Bible and decide to gather in fellowship, there's 45,000 different denominations worldwide? What? 45,000? That's a lot of different hoodies. That's a lot of people. And I could be like, well, we're doing it right over here. We're doing it right, right here. He's like, look, look we're a couple hundred people. A couple hundred people. And he, Paul says, not just as the papyrus praying for Laodicea or for Colossae, he's praying for Laodicea and Hierapolis. He's praying for everybody. John 17, what did Jesus pray? Not just for us, not just for them, but for those who believe our word, everybody. He goes on, he mentions a few more people. I bear him witness. He's zealous. Look at verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Stop right there. eyes up here. Let me just say this. Luke is a perfect example of a Gentile who gets saved, of a Greek professional who's not a pastor. He's not an apostle. He's a professional. God's given to him as a trade. He's mentioned right here as a physician. He becomes Paul's personal physician, which is kind of interesting. Everywhere Paul went, he needed a doctor, okay? Paul's like, I'm going to go street witnessing. Luke's like, I'm going to go to Walgreens and get some Band-Aids, you know, like, We're going to need some Neosporin when you get back, dog. I'll be waiting for you, the ice pack. And Paul would get put back together every day. Luke would put him back together. And, you know, it's this interesting thing. I could do a whole teaching on supernatural healing and suffering also in the flesh. And Paul would get hurt and he would suffer. And so instead of just praying himself healed, he had a physician. He had a doctor. And Luke here, he's not a a pastor. He's not an apostle. Listen, he has a, a skill that he offers to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let me say something crazy. It's actually not crazy. It's crazy though. Did you know that there are more professional Christians than there are pastors who are Christians in the world? There are more Christians in the workforce in the world than there are pastors and leaders in the world. And God did that by design. There are more Christians, doctors, mechanics, professionals, teachers, bus drivers, volunteers, lifeguards, florists, real estate people, laborers, craftsmen, stalkers, fabricators, like stocking shelves, you know. <laughs> this isn't the 11 a.m. service, guys. Luke responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I, I'm, I'm a doctor. I guess I could give that to the ministry. And I have been blessed so much in our church by mechanics, doctors, lawyers, real estate people, laborers, craftsmen, people counselors, teachers, moms, dads, well, I'm not a pastor, really, that's the good, good, are you a Christian, yeah, I'm just a what, then I go out here, I side people's houses, plumbers, you know how cool it would be to be a plumber, you just go into people's houses, you just love on them, filled with the fragrance of Jesus Christ, and eliminating their house from whatever fragrance is going on in there, <laughs> Lord bless the plumbers, Guys, we're going to run out of time. I got to just hit this though. He says, in Demas, greets you. Demas is not a. He, I'm glad he's in here because it freaks me out. Demas is mentioned three times in the scriptures. The first time in his previous book, it says, Demas, our fellow laborer, greets you. Here, it says, Demas says hi. He's not a fellow laborer anymore. He just says hi. Something happened in Demas' life where at one point he was laboring, he was fired up, and he was into it. Now he's just kind of riding the coattails. He's kind of on the fringe. He's not really doing much. He's not showing up early to stay same place. He's just kind of there. And Paul's like, oh, yeah, I guess Demas is here too. He says hi. And then in 2 Timothy, the final letter, Paul actually says, Demas, he's not here anymore. He says, Demas left us. Demas has forsaken me having loved the things of this world. He was with Paul Of all the perfect setup To be part of a ministry team That's exciting, that you're welcome That you're needed, that's fun And all of a sudden, Demas is no more He left, why? The love of the world We could preach a whole sermon on it Just take, take, take some inventory you're Part of the team, you're excited okay? Don't, don't get lukewarm don't get, don't get weird And I say that to myself because I want to be like Luke, stay strong. I don't want to be like Demas. He goes on in verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea in and Nymphis and the church that's in his house. Okay, these are small churches, home churches, life groups that are meeting together at these people's houses. And Paul says, you need to keep doing that. And he says, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that likewise you read the epistle from Laodicea. Stop right there, the i of here. I love it. Paul's not the only, uh, I'm not the only pastor, I should say, that keeps telling his congregation to read the Bible. Paul's like, when it gets there, make sure you read it here, read it there, and go read it there. Read the Bible. This is their five-by-five five reading program. He says, read the Bible when you get there, and then go to another church and read it to them. And finally he says this in the last two verses, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Can you imagine reading this epistle out loud and all of a sudden Paul's like, oh yeah, and tell Archippus to figure it out. And everyone like, all all eyes turned to Archippus like, what? And Archippus like, oh, you know. Tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry that he received in the Lord. I don't know what he's talking about. Maybe it was an inside convo that he and Paul had. Maybe he knew, maybe it was a, a big encouragement. Maybe he knew that Archippus was about to start something big. he says make sure he does it let me just say it this way though have you ever been to a church service before where it feels like the pastor's talking directly to you and you're sitting there and you're sitting there going and you're sitting there going why is he picking on me i mean from time to time i'll say something and make eye contact with somebody and be like i can't believe i looked at that person when i said that you know like (laughs) if i've ever looked at you and said the wrong thing like that's between you and the lord like don't be mad at me I'm, I'm not kidding. Sometimes I'll say something that's so convicting, I'll look at the lights. Because it's like, this is too nuts, this is too intense. But here's the deal. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. By name. I love it. I love it. And if he's speaking to you right now, like he spoke to Archippus, hey, tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry that he received from the Lord. Don't quit. I wonder if Archippus started crying the first time he heard that, just weeping. Oh, how did he know? How did he know that I wasn't pressing in? I'd stopped. I'd been weird. How did he know I needed that encouragement? (laughs) Just like the Lord knows when you do. And when you go to church or when you read the Bible, it's like, oh, my gosh. That was like, wow. Rejoice. It's the Lord saying, I know you. I got you. I called you. You received this ministry from me, and we're going to fulfill it. He says, this salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace with you always. Amen. Paul, such a lover of people. And may that be the message that we receive. Let's pray today, Lord. May, may we be lovers of the men and women around us. I pray you'd forgive me, Lord, for loving at times the mission. For even loving at times the message. Lord, and overlooking the many people you've put in my path. I've, I repent and I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that the mission and the message would be evidenced in the way that we love each other. That it would be seen in the ministry horizontally. I pray blessings on this church, Lord. May you make yourself at home. Speak to us, Lord. Plow down our row. Get our attention. Give us that theology that we we might know what's up and what's down, what's right and what's wrong, what's in and what's out, what's good and what's bad, and that we would know what the Bible teaches. But also, Lord, give us that relationship, that appreciation for one another, to die to ourselves, to be the best men and women, the best family, the best moms and dads and brothers and sisters we could possibly be. We thank you for this church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul, Lord. We remember his chains, and our brothers and sisters that are suffering right now. Lord, I don't think any, any Christian anywhere right now is not suffering in some way, emotionally or spiritually, physically. So forgive us for being so selfish, so worried about what people think of us, and what I'm going to get, and, and who I am, Lord. May we be others-minded. One person said that the, joy, the acronym of joy is Jesus first, and then others, and then yourself. And I pray that we would do that today, Lord. Bless our church. We thank you so much for the Colossians. We give it to you, Lord. Bless the rest of this afternoon. Thank you for the sun that's shining. Lord, help us to walk in the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. Walk in love. Walk in relationships. Get the truth from God and then let it be seen in the love that flows out. Have a blessed day. Pray for all those things that are happening. Pray for the 11 a.m. service. You can hang out. We're gonna worship and pray again if you want to. You're invited. Other than that, God bless you. You're dismissed.